What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three cybernetic animals made to look human. I'm Matt Johnson, and I just cannot wait to see Vin Diesel be cast as Superman for James Gunn's DC. I'm Keith Baker, and I really miss Kurt Russell. And I'm Austin Terry, and this movie was way too wet for my tastes. I saw you put that down. I don't even know what you're referencing. Everything's wet. They're like putting their <laughs> hand in doors and their hands are coming out goopy. Oh, like the true. whole movie's wet. Yeah, there was a lot. There was mm. more goo than I expected. That's fair. Okay. Okay. I'm on board. I'm on board. On today's show, of course, I mean, if we're talking about goo, then you know it's time to talk about the start of the summer movie season with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Austin and Keith, this movie has been a long time coming. Apparently, it's the... How do you phrase this? I guess this is the longest amount of time it's been between like sequels within like an MCU trilogy. So like Guardians 2 came out in 2017. So it's been six years uh, since then. And many people have been losing faith in the MCU as of late. So those are kind of two separate things. But I guess when it comes to talking about this movie, it's worth bringing them together. Uh, So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Kind of like the general state of the MCU. How are you guys feeling about it now that Phase 5 is still, I mean, this is only the second movie after Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, which none of us liked. So I'm curious kind of what your general feelings are. And then, of course, what are your non-spoiler thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? This is a big movie, so we got to talk about it. Yeah, we kind of touched on it towards the end of last week's episode, but I said I was mostly interested in this movie to see if Marvel can put out good movies still, because it's been a long time since the last good one. And I would say a third of this movie hit for me. Um, The other two thirds, I don't think are bad. I would just say it's serviceable. The final act of this film is really where I felt like this was a good movie and had a good conclusion. Everything leading up to that was like kind of hit or miss. There's a, a good chunk of this movie that I just wasn't very interested in. The Guardians dynamic, I don't think, has been developed at all since the sequel. Like, they're still fighting and squabbling. And that was actually my issue with the holiday special, too, is all the jokes are from the Guardians fighting. And I'm just kind of tired of that dynamic. And that carries into this film. So a lot of the jokes didn't really hit for me, weirdly enough. Overall, I mean, I think it's a good movie. I think it's worth seeing in theaters. But if you're wanting that, like, great cap off to this trilogy, I really only got that from the third act of this film. Yeah, I think it might be a little higher than Austin, but there was definitely some stuff that fell a little flat for me. Um, But to answer your question fully, as far as the MCU and the state of it right now, I'm definitely looking forward to the continuation from stuff that we had gotten uh, a year to a year and a half ago, I guess, with the shows like Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, continuation of Loki. Definitely excited to see where those storylines goes and how the movies are going to play into that. Um, As far as Guardians, overall, I think I really enjoyed it. I think the only thing for me was there was some stuff that was repetitive that I think they probably could have cut short to just kind of smooth out that runtime. I definitely was feeling the runtime in this one, maybe in the last 15, 20 minutes, as I usually do when it, when it gets to that like two hour and 20 to 30 minute mark. I'm kind of ready for things to start wrapping up. But overall, I thought the action was good. I thought the characters were, were funny. Maybe it was missing some stuff that I was hoping for, but it didn't really take away from the overall experience. So. Yeah, I would recommend it. Go see it in theaters. Um, I think it's a pretty good time. It's significantly better than Ant-Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's there's any competition there. I mean, I, I'm definitely way higher on the MCU Phase 4 than a lot of people are. I think there's a lot of good movies in there. I enjoyed Black Widow for what it was. I love Shang-Chi. I know I've talked about that before. Spider-Man No Way Home, of course. That was a blast. Thor Love and Thunder I thought was fine. Uh, it was a good time. That's probably the best I could say about it, but... I mean, I think this movie is certainly like one of the better movies in recent memory. I mean, Wakanda Forever, also a movie that I think I enjoyed more than some people. Uh, and then there were so many good shows in there, too. So anyway, when it comes to like the fate with phase four, I know it's kind of controversial. People are very up or down on it, but I had a lot of fun with it. So I'm just glad that, you know, phase five 
seems to be in better hands now because, I mean, it got off to a fucking dud of a start with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, so I'm happy to say that it sounds like I might be the highest on Guardians 3. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think even after sitting with it for a couple of days, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's been kind of in the back of my head. I, I probably even like it more than I did like like immediately walking out whenever I was having my initial reactions. But, you know, I, I just think the focus on Rocket worked pretty well for me. There was some weirdness when it came to transitioning between that and like other storylines. But for the most part, the content we got, I thought was fantastic. I love Rocket as a character. So seeing more of him was great. Uh, what the Guardians were doing, I'm sure people will be a little bit up or down on that. Uh, what they're actually doing, like goal wise, I loved. I thought it was great. Uh, lots of emotion there. But I am with Austin that, you know, it's it's been a very weird journey for the Guardians when you think about it. The first movie came out in 2014, and it's really all about them coming together. The second movie, which I'm with Keith, I do not like that movie very much at all. A very weird sequel because it takes place like six months later. They're still getting used to each other, but then they spend most of the movie separated from each other. And it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of an interesting way to go since we just formed this team. And then the next time we see them, it skips like what? Like in continuity, it skips like four years ahead to the Infinity War. And now things are all great with them. But then like they all except Rocket and Nebula die. And they come back very briefly in Endgame. And there's no, there's no substance to it. It's just like a quick, like few funny scenes. The next time we see them is like Thor, Love and Thunder in the holiday special. I mean, we've seen them a lot, but it's been a very weird trajectory. There's like a huge like span of a few years in there that seems like very integral to their like building as a team that we just didn't see. And they don't even really reference at all. So kind of odd. And then to Austin's point, you know, we get to stuff like the holiday special, like later stuff. And yeah, they, they don't, I mean, I guess they seem closer, but in some ways, not at all. So It doesn't seem like they like each other. Like, it seems like they just are forced to be together. It's a very strange dynamic at times. For the most part, it does work for you, but, but it is weird. And I, and I kind of bring up that trajectory because it, it, it's odd to talk about this movie as being kind of the swan song, you know, not only for James Gunn, but for what he calls this iteration of the Guardians. So we'll have to, you know, figure out what that means, especially when we get to spoiler territory, but yeah, I think by that nature of this being kind of an odd path of the Guardians where there's been some development and some not, it, 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 there were some good moments, but certainly some weird moments in this movie of them trying to all of a sudden, at like the snap of a finger, convince us that it's time to say goodbye to this team, if that makes sense. It was like, oh, I guess we're saying goodbye to them. Like I had a moment of that, like towards the ending where I was like, OK, that was kind of earned, but in a lot of ways, kind of not. So there's definitely weirdness there. Um, but overall, I really like the movie and how it kind of came together. It's very epic, not necessarily in terms of scope, but just in how they like handle these characters and try and give them a good farewell, which I really appreciated. If I'm going to talk about negatives, really for me, unfortunately, it kind of comes down to everything in this movie that isn't the Guardians, if that makes sense. Um, I guess certain things I can't say because they'd be spoilers, but I'll just say that, that there's some new characters in this that didn't need to be here. Um, and the main villain, I thought the performance was fantastic by Chuck Woody Awuji, but there was a, a little bit of a motivation problem for me with that character. I didn't want to sympathize or empathize with that character, but I just wanted to know like anything about why they were doing what they were doing. I think there was a bit of a, a missing piece there. If we had gotten just a little bit, I think it could have made for an all-time MCU villain. As of now, I think it's just a very, very good one. Uh, so yeah, and that's kind of it. Uh, and then I guess the last thing would be for a two, almost a two and a half hour movie. It flew by for me, so the pacing was really good. 
But still, for a movie that long, I thought it was overbloated, if that makes sense. So it was kind of a weird yeah, feeling. I was like, sure. this is a long movie. I did, it didn't feel long. It flew by. But still, I'm surprised that for that length, you still shoved in so much. And so much of it, I think we could have like just completely removed and it, we wouldn't have noticed. So kind of some weirdness there when it came to the runtime. But overall, a big win for me. Yeah, I agree with you, especially with it feeling overbloated. It's just it's a very straightforward need, like if we're trying to save our friend. Um, and that's the crux of the movie. But to save your friend, you have to go to points A, B, C, and D when you could have just gone from A to D and yeah. probably cut 45 minutes out of the movie. So I do agree that um, when Rocket is the focus, that's when this movie is working. But weirdly enough, there's not enough of Rocket in the present day for me in this film. So I, I did feel like we could have gotten more Rocket and maybe that would have helped that emotional core of the movie. Um, and then in regards to like the broader state of the MCU, I really think Captain America next spring uh, needs to hit for the MCU phase five to feel like a success because that's the big like titular character. It's the first time Sam Wilson's going to be on screen, like in the box office. So if, if they can't make a Captain America movie work, I think then the Marvel has some big problems. It does feel like there's so many threads that they've just never addressed. Like as they've been introduced since like the post end game content, like the guardian space, nowhere is a big celestials head. Last time we saw the celestials was eternals and they haven't come up since. So things like that, it's like, where is where are we going? Like, there's so much stuff I thought would we'd be addressing by now, and then just they're still just kind of telling separate stories that don't seem to feel connected. Do you remember at the end of Eternals when like a celestial started like rising out of Earth? Yeah, that's still is that in Earth. Still apparently, there? <laughs> is there like still be. like a <laughs> celestial like huge thing like coming out of Earth's core? Is that and isn't isn't the big rumor that that celestial head is going to be the home of the X Men? Uh, I think they've said that that's how they're going to introduce adamantium into the uh, MCU. I, I think they've said that Captain America New World Order, part of that's going to be about several governments trying to claim that as their own land. So again, maybe, like you said, Austin, Captain America has to hit, and it sounds like maybe they'll be using that to uh, deal with a lot of things. And everybody knows one of my favorite characters is Thunderbolt Ross, and this time they got Harrison Ford replacing William Hurt because he died. So can Harrison Ford make us fall in love with this character all over again. Austin and Keith, I pass that question to you. Well, we just got to hope Harrison Ford doesn't die between now and then. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We do have to hope that. In terms of talent, they've upgraded, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. All right, everybody. Well, uh, you know our kind of initial thoughts on Guardians 3 and the MCU in general. Sounds like we have a classic Arnie's podcast where one of us is a bit lower, one of us is in the middle, and one of us is very high on the movie. So take that for what you will, but the rest of this episode is going to be full-on spoilers, and this is one where we have a lot to talk about. So if you have not seen Guardians 3, I really would recommend go checking it out first and then coming on back to the rest of our episode. All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory. We're going to break it all down for you. We have tons of questions, tons of theories, and just we really just want to talk about how this movie handled so many different things because it was very unexpected, lots of twists and turns. But before we get to that, Austin and Keith, as always, start us off with the cast and crew. All right, so Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is, of course, written and directed by Mr. James Gunn, who you may know from all of the prior Guardians films, The Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, and, of course, uh, he beat out Dwayne Johnson for the power struggle of uh, control of the DC Studios. <laughs> wow. So he will now be running uh, the DC Universe going forward, and he will be writing and directing the upcoming Superman Legacy film. And our score for the film is composed by John Murphy, who is one of James Gunn's frequent collaborators. All right, and going to our cast, we have Chris Pratt as Peter Quill, Star-Lord, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, 
Dave Bautista as Drax, Karen Gillan as Nebula, Palm Clementif as Mantis, Sean Gunn as Kraglin, Chikwudi Iwuji as the High Evolutionary, Will Poulter as Adam Warlock, Elizabeth Debecki as Aisha, Maria Bakalova as Cosmo, Sylvester Stallone as Stakar, <laughs> and we got Vin Diesel as Groot, of course, and Mr. Bradley and Cooper. more importantly, though, Keith, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. we also do have Austin Freeman as Onset Groot, which, who's the more important character there? I'd say the person on set, if you ask me. That's oh. Wow. Okay. And we got Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon. All right, guys. There's your cast and crew. Any positives? Any negatives? What do we got? I'm a little torn on this one. Um, I do think Rocket Raccoon is the highlight, but I don't think that's due to Bradley Cooper's performance. I think it's just due to the incredible animation that portrays like the emotions on Rocket's face. Um, most of the time, like adult Rocket Raccoon isn't even in the movie, so it's not even Bradley Cooper doing that voice. It's actually Sean Gunn, which is interesting. So I think that's a highlight. I also think Chuck Wooji as the high evolutionary is great, but when he gets to the third act, he's not doing the stuff I liked in the beginning where he's like quietly speaking to characters and you can tell he's like this evil guy but can have like a normal conversation and he just seems more intimidating than when he's like running around and screaming at everybody. So I, I think there's a lot of highlights. I, I don't have any like major negatives other than some of the jokes at the Guardians. I just don't know who like the main standout is in this movie. I guess my main standout would probably be Dave Bautista as Drax. For me, he's kind of like the the Swiss Army character. He kind of he brings such good comedy, uh, good emotional stuff as well, and then he also brings like the brute force and the action. So uh, I've always enjoyed him as his character, and I think this third one uh, really he, he stood out for me as far as that goes, uh, especially with the comedy. I was laughing at almost everything he he says. So um, he's probably my main highlight. Yeah. Um. I guess I'm with Austin on both of his. Um, maybe I just feel a little bit higher on them. I, I'm Well, at least when it comes to High Evolutionary, I'm right there with you. I think Chokuri Uji is a highlight performance, but the character, I just have a lot of questions about. Um, and yeah, I think towards the end, it did become a little bit of like a standard, like, like yelly <laughs> type MCU character. Still some good <laughs> moments, but yeah, I got a little bit more basic towards the end. Uh, I guess the main place I'll disagree is, I, was, I would say Rocket Raccoon is my highlight of the movie. And I think for me, at least... Uh, it is in large part due to Bradley Cooper's performance. And I, I would go as far to say I think Bradley Cooper's performance as Rocket, even though it is just a voice performance because he's not doing the onset work either, really is one of the better performances we've gotten in the MCU. I think he's one of the uh, unsung heroes. I love him in the first two Guardians movies. I love him in both Infinity War and Endgame. Just, I don't know. There's just something about the way he does the voice where it just, the comedy certainly comes across, but I love whenever he delivers those smaller um, more serious moments, more reflective moments. And I think while we didn't get as much, of course, adult Rocket in this one, because like Austin mentioned, I definitely have a lot of things to talk about there. I was very surprised as well how, um, at least in the first two acts, I guess we could say, how Rocket is kind of absent from the present day stuff because he spends most of it injured. Um, yeah, so, so there isn't as much Bradley Cooper here, but I still think when he's there, it's definitely a highlight. But I, I will also agree with you that the animators deserve specific praise there, of course, too. And then I guess I would shout out James Gunn's writing, because this is a very different movie than we've seen in the MCU. Uh, it's very ambitious. It takes some big swings when it comes to kind of the pacing and jumping back and forth between storylines. So I appreciate the shot. It didn't always work, but when it did, I thought it really worked. I think James Gunn does deserve some praise here, too. I'm also shocked they kept their PG-13 rating for this movie, because yeah. there is some violent shit in this film. Mm -hmm. mm, and our yeah. first MCU F-bomb, which I laughed yeah. out loud at, because I just thought it was so fun. <laughs> you only get one. Only get one. 
All right, guys, it's time to go a little bit deeper. I think we've all been kind of chomping at the bit to get to this portion of our show. So it's our roundtable discussion. Uh, this is the main part of our show where each of us brings a couple points, uh, just things that we really want to kind of sit with and talk about in more detail and kind of get the other people's opinions. So who wants to start us off today? Yeah, I'll touch on my main, I guess, crux of issues with this film is I just felt a Guardian's problem with this movie. I was significantly less interested in everything they were doing versus when time was being given to the Rocket backstory. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Because I that's, you know, a good chunk of the film. And if that's not going to hit for you, then it's probably you're probably going to feel like I do, where only a third of this movie really worked. I guess what I would say is it's certainly not perfect. I loved all the Rocket stuff, so I'm with you there. I think the reason the Guardian stuff worked for me is because I just like the simplistic story of the very beginning of the movie, Rocket gets really fucked up, is like a, takes a fatal wound, basically, from Adam Warlock. And really, the only thing the Guardians are trying to do in this movie is save Rocket. So in terms of what they were, it's kind of what I mentioned in non-spoilers. Their goal, I loved. I mean, it's super simple, easy to follow. They just want to save their friend. Um, where it gets a little bit tricky is what you mentioned already, Austin. It's like, it kind of felt like a video game uh, fetch quest thing. It's like, they know exactly what they need to do to save Rocket, basically, because he has this kill switch where they have to find his creator and get this code to turn it off, and they can save Rocket no problem. Um, but it's like, okay, let's go do that. So they, so they go to find him, and then they show up, and he's like, oh, he's not at this place. Okay, let's go after this other guy that might know him. And they do that, and then it's like, okay, we got this, but oh, we got to go do something else. So it's like, like you said, it's like, it was kind of like A, B, C, D or the steps they had to take to save Rocket. But they probably could have skipped over at least like one of those things, I thought, just to save some time. So it did get a little bit goofy. So I agree with you there. But overall, I mean, I love what the Guardians were doing because I liked their banter back and forth. And I just like that they were trying to save their friends. So I think I liked it more than you. But where I will agree in terms of like, you know, you said you one third of this movie worked for you. I would say two thirds did for me. The one third that really didn't was basically the opposite. It was the non-Guardian stuff. Like I said. Um, Chuck Woody Wooji, great performance, but I just wanted to know a little bit more about why the High Evolutionary was doing this. I know they had lines about it where it's like he's trying to create this counter Earth with all of these like um, almost like humanoid versions of animals. And it's like because he has to make them perfect. Um, and Rocket comments like, well, you didn't want them perfect. You just hated the way they were. And it's like, that's really interesting. But I just wanted to know why he felt he had to be the one to do it. Why does he want to make things perfect? I mean, I was surprised at how little there was in that sense, which disappointed me. And then before I pass over to you guys. So that's more of like, I would, I would call it more than a nitpick when it came to my villain motivation issue. But the one thing I, I got to say right off the bat, I mentioned it in non spoilers too. The thing that we could have cut completely out of this movie, and I hate to say it, I like both performers, but we didn't need Adam Warlock or the Sovereign with Aisha in this movie at all. Rocket could have gotten hurt any other way. Yes, there were some cool thematic moments with Adam Warlock, um, him being, um, you know, Aisha's son. I think there are definitely some parallels between him and Rocket on their journey, but there's so little of him in the movie. He's probably in like five minutes of screen time. And yes, it's impactful at times, but we just could have lost all of that. And I really don't think we would have, you know, missed much, unfortunately. Yeah, I was pretty shocked at how bad I guess not bad. I was pretty shocked at how weird the Adam Warlock character was, which I know is James Gunn and he likes all things weird and strange, but just, I was excited to see a version of Adam Warlock, kind of like we got in the Guardians game where he's like mm. this higher society individual who just thinks he's better than everybody else. I, I would, I think I would have enjoyed that more, like watching him interact with the Guardians that way, but you are right. He doesn't really have a presence in this movie. He's just there to like mess up and blow stuff up every now and then, but he doesn't have like a great emotional journey in this film, which could have been interesting. It does look like he's coming back, so I'm sure we'll get more from him in the future. 
And then I do want to circle back to what you said about the high evolutionary. I think it would have been more interesting to learn more about his time on Earth and why he feels like he needs yeah. to make things better. Because he says he went there, but we don't know how long he was there. We don't know what happened to him there. Like, I agree. I think we needed more of his motivation for this movie. Well, going and going back to the rocket backstory, I, I did like what we got with the rocket backstory. And I think it was definitely maybe necessary for the movie. I think for me, though, what I was missing was, I think maybe you said it earlier, Austin, uh, more present day Rocket with the team. And then this is the last one, like the last Guardians movie. I was like, well, shit, we didn't get really any Rocket in it besides the backstory. But the backstory was so good, so it kind of makes you forget. And Matt, wasn't there, maybe you know more about this than I do, wasn't there supposed to be a standalone Rocket movie? Um, I don't know if supposed to be is the right word. James Gunn has talked about that he tossed around the idea of telling Rocket's backstory in a standalone Rocket and Groot movie. Um, I don't know how that would have worked. Like, would it have taken place before the first Guardians, or would it be like Rocket and Groot are doing their own thing for a little bit in between movies? I don't know. But yeah, James Gunn apparently threw around the idea of doing a Rocket and Groot movie, and in that he would have told the same backstory, but then he decided that he wanted to do it as part of the main Guardians movie. Yeah, I think that, plus throwing Adam Warlock into that film... I think you've got a hit there. I think I would have been way more interested in that story than the one we got here. It's interesting to hear you guys talk about it. I, I don't fully disagree. I mean, I think Keith kind of said it in a nice way. It's like, yeah, there, there was, you know, because we all love Rocket. Rocket's one of my favorite characters in this entire universe, and he's definitely my favorite Guardian. So, like, yeah, I was really sad when he got taken out of commission pretty early. I was like, oh, shit, like, that was pretty brutal. And I really felt for all the characters because I know that, you know, they want to save him. Um, and, yeah, I was definitely missing him. Uh, throughout the present day sequences. But of course, you know, we get a lot of flashbacks. So it's like you never really fully miss Rocket as a character. And whenever he uh, ends up surviving, surprisingly, whenever he comes back, uh, which is the moment that I cried and not the moment where I thought he was going to die, but the moment that he wakes up and, you know, Quill and Groot embrace him, he hugs him back, Amora smiles. That moment really, that's the moment where I kind of broke down a little bit. I thought that was very beautifully done, very sweet and kind of symbolic of how I felt. It's like, yeah, I missed Rocket, but this moment is hitting so hard. And then the rest of the movie, where he's in the present day stuff, whenever he's part of the action, whenever he's part of like saving, oh my God, whenever he's like saving the little litter of raccoons that he was a part of, he <laughs> discovers like he All actually is, great. Yeah. is a raccoon. So I guess what I'm saying is like, I did miss him in the present day stuff, but like the emotional moment of him surviving and then how he plays into the rest of it hits so hard that for me, it was worth not having him in the rest of the present day stuff because otherwise it wouldn't have hit. And I really like having the backstory. I mean, I know the backstory is a huge part. Do you guys want to talk about like some of the things that you liked in particular about his backstory? Because um, it's very dark. I mean, it's certainly, you know, been talked about in trailers and kind of in the initial previews. People are like, oh, fuck. I mean, we knew it was probably going to be fucked up. But the Rocket backstory is very, very dark, especially for MCU stuff. But I thought it was great. I think the the center point that really worked for me with the Rocket backstory is his relationship with Lila. I don't know how they made a, a ferret with robot arms like seem so endearing and emotional. But <laughs> yeah. man, when she gets shot in the back... There was somebody in my in my theater just went no <laughs> like as he, as like well, so yeah. it definitely was hitting for everybody. Um, but yeah, I think just like the version of Rocket we know today is someone that doesn't get attached, doesn't want friends, um, and it took him a long time to accept the Guardians team. And so seeing um, a past version of Rocket where he had this kind of tight friendship and they all got killed in front of him partially because of his actions, I thought that really worked to inform the the present day Rocket that we know today. I definitely like the uh, the beginning of this movie with Creep playing and him kind of singing along to Creep. Yeah, that was I, cool. I was like, damn, like this guy seems like sad as shit while he's singing this song. And then it was like a perfect transition into the backstory. The high evolutionary guy was really brutal. Um, I mean, what do you guys think about the whenever Rocket 
young Rocket does snap and scratches the shit out of his face. Loved it. Thought it was great. Before that, too, whenever the High Evolutionary has Rocket like sitting in his lap and they're like doing math together and stuff, those were the scenes where I thought the High Evolutionary was more scary than when he's like running around yeah. and screaming at people. Because then he like squeezes his head like just like slightly too tight, and you're like. Whoa, what's what's this guy doing? And then, of course, the reveal. I mean, Rocket is kind of his magnum opus. He's the one that kind of developed that natural intelligence that he was looking for as kind of the basis for his counter-Earth, all the people that would live there. And when Rocket finds out, oh, no, you're not going. You know, you're just basically parts. I want to take what works in your head and put that in everybody else. But, you know, we're going to kill you and your friends. It's like, fuck, oh, fuck, okay. Um but yeah, I just wanted to call it the moment you guys just talked about whenever he scratches the face, kind of that entire moment wherever, you know, Lila and all of his friends are killed. And I mean, it's it almost sounds goofy to say, but James Gunn is always so good at this, like taking something like a raccoon and giving them a really raw, almost like a real human moment. It's weird to say, but the moment where Lila dies and Rocket doesn't have the typical like he like reaches down and like holds her head and like they she like is able to get like one word out to him and then he starts crying. He literally just stands there and just like starts like one monotone wail that he just holds while the high evolutionary is like trying to monologue to him saying why he did it. Rocket's not even listening. He's just like, ah, it's just like he doesn't know what to do. It's like a really dark, fucked up moment. And then that leading into scratching the face was like the perfect catharsis. And then watching him escape was so good, but still so sad because we wanted to go with all his friends to escape. And whenever he's like sitting in the ship alone, he's like. You like are like, yeah, he did it. But you're also like, oh, this is really fucking sad. <laughs> so. I thought it was really powerful how they handled, you know, Peter's perhaps alcoholism in response to um, Gamora's death. Did you guys think that they kind of lost that point very quickly? Oh, yeah. I thought they were going to address more of that because... Whenever he is passed out drunk, the rest of the team is like, oh, not again. So this is a regular occurrence. And then because we saw him a bit uh, in Thor Love and Thunder, and it kind of seemed like him and Thor were going through the same thing a little bit. So I would have liked to have have touched more on how Peter has been since Endgame. Yeah, Thor, uh, in response to trauma, was relying on food as a coping mechanism and Peter, perhaps alcohol. Um, Yeah, I was disappointed that this movie kind of threw that away very quickly. I guess Thor Love and Thunder kind of did, too. I mean, in response to... You know, Thor, I mean, they just have like Taika Waititi doing a very jokey um, narration where it's like, and then he started working out again. It's like, oh, okay, so it was never an issue again. Like, he's just fine. So, yeah. So I guess when it comes to like handling PTSD and trauma in the MCU, they tend to just, uh, let's just get through that really quick. (laughs) The exception of fucking Rocket, of course. James Gunn's like, well, that's the whole movie. And I, I think if we expand on that a little further, another reason why a, a big portion of the Guardian stuff didn't work for me is just because instead of focusing on real uh, interactions or conflicts within the team or, or the stuff Peter is going through, instead they kind of resort back to just the Guardians screaming at each other. At one point, I think uh, Mantis calls Drax a dum-dum. And it's just, just some of the writing there, I think, is horrible. Where, like They're just relying on the fact that these are big, strong characters don't get along to like make you laugh. And I was like, what, it, like, what are some of these jokes that they're making? It just it, None of that really hit for me in this one. I agree. And that was one of my problems with two. Maybe I need to watch both this and that movie again to like just think about the writing choices. But like Drax in particular, I agree with Keith. I mean, Dave Bautista has always been a highlight performance-wise. I think he's like in those introspective moments, he's so good, but he's also so goddamn funny. 
But it does make me sad that his character, and I understand he's from like a species that take things very literally. So even if he says something condescending, he doesn't necessarily mean it to insult you. But still, I mean, he he comes across as very mean a lot of the time. Like the way he talks to people is like, that's mean, dude. And I kind of got that feeling with Mantis this time too. Like, yeah, she just calls Drax stupid. And like, I love Nebula as well. Karen Gillan also a stand-up performance. But yeah, she's just really mean in this movie. And like, are we supposed to believe that like the situation of Rocket getting hurt is making them like, like really put them down? They're reverting to old ways. Are they scared? I don't know. But I agree with you. Like some, some of it worked and some of it was just like, I just don't like this infighting. With Nebula specifically, what I was hoping they were going to get to, and they never did, was that Peter has been so drunk and out of commission that all of the actions of running nowhere, keeping the team together has fallen to her, and she never really got a break since Endgame, and so she's just been pushed to the limit. That's what I was getting from it, and that's why she is the way she is in this movie, but they never addressed it. And I think there could have been more heartfelt reasons for the way they're acting in this film, but they just instead relied on the jokes to get through some of those scenes where they could have spent more time on that stuff. Agreed, because I guess we're supposed to believe that you're right. I think she was doing that because she's the one that stays on nowhere, presumably to run it at the end. So I guess we're supposed to believe that she's been doing that the entire time. But yeah, you're right. There, it, we could have just used like, I don't know, a few minutes to cross the finish line with some of those characters, so to speak. Just take Adam Warlock out, use those extra 10 minutes to give a couple more moments to each of our characters where they're not fighting. Uh, so I agree. And just like Peter, she also lost the version of Gamora that she had become close with. Like she lost her sister again. So I think there could have been some interesting parallels to explore with both Peter and Nebula's relationship with Gamora. Yeah. I mean, I I told Matt this after we were done watching it and I knew we weren't going to get it, but I was definitely hoping for it. I was hoping for like a good at least five to 10 minute, maybe flashback opener, opener, maybe, maybe, but maybe not even an opener, but like a flashback scene of them with Thor before they dropped Thor off. I think that would have been kind of cool because we do come into this with everybody kind of just sad and pissed off. And uh, I was like, well, that's not the Guardians we really know. And it's not, it's not like, almost like we we're like missing one movie where we get to see them do something really cool together again. So, and maybe two, maybe two was supposed to be that movie, but we, just, we all really didn't like it, unfortunately. It did feel like they were setting up a full Guardians movie with Thor involved at the end of Endgame. Yeah. And I th- apparently James Gunn just never liked that idea. Like he had never any interest in telling a story with Thor, which is his right. It's just like, you know, the people that did Endgame wanted to do that. So it, it seems like him getting fired and then rehired time-wise was good for him because then Taika had to do Thor Love and Thunder and they could resolve it there. But I guess James Gunn was uh, apparently never interested in doing that. So, But to Keith's point, I, th- I think that is the movie we didn't see was their journey. Yeah. Like we yeah. saw it a little bit in Love and Thunder, but maybe if we'd seen that or seen more of that, maybe this movie hits better with the Guardian side of it. Sure. And even if we didn't get that, Keith, I don't know if, I can't remember if you watched or not, but the holiday special is kind of interesting to bring into this conversation because it just came out, you know, a few months ago. And, you know, I haven't watched it since then, but watching that, like thinking about it and then watching where this one starts, kind of weird continuity. I don't know if you agree, Austin, where where that ended, it's kind of weird to then come back into this one. And then we're just kind of all fighting again, because that really wasn't the holiday special. Things actually kind of seemed good in that one, (laughs) for the most part. They were still really sad about Gamora being gone, and Quill was. They did mention him being depressed, but um, for the most part, things seemed okay. So, kind of weird to then jump into this one. I'm definitely the minority on the holiday special. I was surprised how well that was received. I thought that was, frankly, pretty terrible. Like, nothing was funny in it for me. The Kevin Bacon stuff I thought was dumb. They go to Earth, and they're just a menace. Like, they're breaking people's (laughs) shit. They're hurting people (laughs) on Earth. Like, yeah, none of that hit for me. So like you guys mentioned with, you know, maybe wanting more on the Nebula and Gamora side of things, because we got some, you know, good Peter and Gamora stuff. 
I kind of like the Nebula and Gamora stuff. I know it was kind of weird, but it's almost like <laughs> Nebula has moved on from her dead sister. She's coped and like, this person isn't her sister, but kind of is. So she wants to have a relationship. I thought that was fun. Their relationship felt like Roy Kent and Jamie and Ted <laughs> yeah. Lasso. In this All the movie. way down to the grunts <laughs> that they make to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, and then like we just mentioned, you know, the, the, the holiday special did, you know, in terms of like story, it was very small scale, but it did kind of in the opening reference that Peter really is still kind of reeling from losing Gamora and now knowing there's another one out there that he can't really talk to, which is kind of a weird thing. So let's talk about that. You know, a big part of this movie is the fact that the version, I guess, of Gamora from the past that came to the present in Endgame has now been running around with the Ravagers. Um, I guess she's a leader now alongside, you know, people like Sylvester Stallone's The Car, which is fun. <laughs> Michael Rosenbaum's like crystal looking character, which I always, I always like that design, which was cool. Uh, so she's doing that. And then through a certain like series of uh, events, she ends up having to kind of tag along with our guardians, which, of course, leads to some uh, interesting dynamics because she used to be part of that team, a different version of her. And now the whole team's like, how the fuck do we talk to this person? So what did you guys think of that? That was kind of a big part, at least I would say outside of the rocket backstory, a big part, I think, of kind of saying farewell to these characters, having some emotional moments came from the way they all interact with Gamora. So what do you guys think? You know, kind of the interactions with Gamora via other team members. What do you think of all that stuff? Yeah, I actually thought for the most part, this was handled pretty well. Um, this is one of the few times where them squabbling makes sense because they don't know each other. So all of that stuff worked better for me when Gamora was involved. I was worried at the beginning that like Peter was going to require her to change for him yeah. to like get back to the person she wanted, but then it didn't go there and they addressed that she can't do that. She's a different person now. So I liked all that and I, I kind of liked where they ended it um, in a sweet place where it seems like maybe down the road there's a potential they could get together, but they have to get, they have to basically relearn to know each other because this is a, this is a good more that doesn't really know uh, Peter Quill. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit because like at first, like, some of the lines Quill has, you're like, oh, you can't say that to you. But you also get where he's coming from because he's in a very unique situation where this was his long term girlfriend and then she died. And then somebody that's her exactly just from a, different, a slightly different place in time <laughs> comes to your present. You interact with them. She seems to hate you. And you're like, wait, wait, let, let me try and explain who I am. And then she goes off on her own and you never really see her talk to her again. And he's just like, well, he's probably been thinking for years, if I could just talk to her, I could explain things. I could make it work. And I love that like quiet moment whenever they're all in those colorful Among Us suits and he's trying to explain and she <laughs> calls him Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. And then, of course, you realize all the other guardians can hear him. But you understand why he's like, if you just open yourself up, maybe it could work. And then, like, like you said, Austin, then. Ultimately, at the end, just kind of getting to a point where she, I don't know if it's trying to set up for a relationship down the line. I think maybe it is, but I just thought it was a very sweet way to put a cap on it because it's almost like she's giving him closure, even though she's not the person that was with him. Like, you know, her saying, like, we must have had a lot of fun together. And then he's like, oh, you have no idea. It was like a very sweet moment for both of them. Um, I think it'll, you know, kind of make them all the better for it, like individually down the line. So I love how they handle this stuff. What do you think, Keith? Yeah, no, I thought it was perfect. I thought it was, she gave like the perfect responses to everything he was saying because he was like kind of coming on strong there. But like you said, the the ending was perfect closure because yeah, she's kind of said she kind of I think finally realized how depressed he was, and he's she was like, yeah. oh, I better get this guy a bone. Like he's a little bit, definitely yeah. definitely struggling here. Let Not me, that kind of bone, but a bone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but I also like how she was used on the team because it seemed like she was willing to help them when it came to infiltrating that company, that weird, like, 
fleshy jail, strange place. It seemed like she was Way not- Way too wet. Way very too wet. wet. That, I'll agree with that you that space there. Station. Very <laughs> wet and gooey. But it seemed like she was not intending to help them beyond that. Uh, but then she kind of, through a series of circumstances, kind of had to. Like, I love seeing her protect Rocket on Counter-Earth from Adam Warlock and, like, doing her best to, like, keep him safe, even though she has no idea who this is and she doesn't really care. I think she even says, like, I don't, I, I'm here to help you because, like, the whole, like, Ravager connection, but... Like, I, I don't give a fuck what happens. Uh, and then watching her kind of begrudgingly become part of the Guardians briefly again towards the end was really cool. Uh, so just all those like little moments really hit for me. You know, I, I really do think Zoe Saldana uh, has done great in the MCU. We don't see a ton of Gamora. I don't think we will again, or at least not for a it long time. Sounds like time. she's done. I think I she don't is. think she ever wants to do one of these again. <laughs> um, but yeah. I thought she was great in this. Uh, so I loved her, like, Star-Lord stuff. And I just love the general team stuff. I loved her, like, <laughs> slow-mo rolling her eyes whenever she ends up, like, following the rest of them into that slow-mo shot where they walk back in <laughs> to stop the high evolutionary. She's like, fine. <laughs> so lots of great stuff from her. I think that takes us into uh, some of the action in this film. And I actually think there's only one standout scene, and it's it's the hallway fight the right hallway after fight. that slow motion yeah. scene. For so sure. good. Groot kind of stood out for me in this one more than other the other movies, I you guess. You like Buff Groot? I love Buff Groot. <laughs> I love the callback of Rocket jumping back on Groot's shoulders, like that iconic scene from the first Guardians, and like Groot like spreading out his arm via vines and Rocket's just running across them and like shooting people. I mean, it was all like awesome. Watching Nebula, they fully leaned into the fact that she can like take a lot of punishment and then just like kind of reform her body. Uh, so that was some other like cool like darker PG-13 stuff. I thought that was fun to see. Uh, it, it was all great. I mean, yes, it's a slow-mo hallway fight. We get a lot of those post-Daredevil. I get it. But it was sick as hell. Um, and I also love that it was kind of framed to be like a pseudo one-shot looking fight scene too. It just, it just looked cool. And the design of the creatures they were fighting I thought was cool. I could totally see those appearing in the Future Guardians game where you have to fight a swarm of them as well. Yeah. As for, you know, other standouts, I think Austin's right. The way this movie kind of works, this is supposed to be the main one because it's the first time our team is fully there in the present day. I mean, Rocket has just kind of recently woken up and now he's back in the action. So I assume they wanted to have at least one where the entire team was there. And in that sense, it worked very well. Um, there were tons of like little moments, though, that I thought were cool. I liked watching Nebula just like totally own Adam Warlock's ass in the beginning only for them to, him to come back a bit harder and take him out. Uh, the, the other standout for me would be uh, just because I, I like the pairing of Quill and Groot. I liked how like uh, Groot was the one person Quill trusted to like infiltrate the high evolutionaries um, uh, base by basically just like hiding like 15 guns inside <laughs> Groot and whenever they kind of team up and like stand back to back and shoot everybody. Uh, that was a sick moment. It's a very short moment to kind of your point. Um, but there, there was enough of like little moments like that that kind of got me uh, like amped, I think. I think beyond the hallway scene, every other fight scene in this movie is forgettable to me. It's not bad. It's just doesn't seem like they like stood out compared to other things we've seen across other superhero movies because there's so many today. But I did think one standout was how quickly the Guardians took down the High Evolutionary at the end. I thought that oh, was yeah. awesome. As the second Rocket activates his gravity boots, you, like the High Evolutionary's done. Yeah, that was badass when he's up against the ceiling and then all of a sudden drops down and just puts two bullets right in his chest or something like I'm that. Rocket raccoon. Yeah, I was like, Fuck that was yeah. cool. <laughs> 
the movie could have easily been two hours or closer to two hours as opposed to like 220 or whatever it is. We just needed to lose Adam Warlock as a whole. I mean, really, his his big thing is he comes back at the end. He gets saved maybe by Dr- – I can't remember exactly who carries him out. And he's like it's, – it's, it's almost like too cliche. It's like, why would you do that? And then like uh, Drax translates for Groot like everyone deserves a second chance. And then he ends up saving Quill. It's like, oh, I mean, that was cool. But that was like the only thing I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Whenever like he ended up like flying through space and saving Quill. Um, yeah, just like weirdly not enough with that character. Same thing with Sean Gunn as Kraglin. He's always been like a really fun side character. And in this one, he's barely in it. But none of the stuff was cool. I understand they were trying to build up like he's got to learn how to use Yondu's arrow. They got Michael Rooker to come back to do that quick little cameo. But I, I got to say, and maybe it's like the MCU geek in me, but I was kind of laughing at that stuff because, again, Kraglin got Yondu's arrow and Mohawk or whatever to control it. He got that in Guardians 2, which canonically takes place in 2014. And then we got the five-year time gap in uh, Avengers Endgame. So you're telling me it's been 10 years and he hasn't figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) And then he figures it out like in this movie because it's the next time we see him. So he has to figure it out now. At least Michael Rooker got to get paid one more time as Yondu because yeah, he's back in this film. Hell yeah. I always want to see Michael Come Rooker. Come on, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like same thing with Cosmo. I mean, Cosmo got introduced in this holiday special. I like Maria Bakalova's like voice. It's kind of fun. I like the, like the concept of Cosmo. But again, it's like if you're going to introduce and like kind of build on more of these characters, then they have to be in, in the movie more. Like, I don't know if they needed to be with them in the entire like mission or anything. I like that it was the core Guardians members on the team, but it's like. Whenever we're cutting back to Kraglin and Cosmo, I'm like, I just let's get back to the other stuff. I liked how Cosmo like used their telekinesis, or do you want to say, to like kind of save the day and like bring nowhere and the ship together to like save everybody like jumping across. But still, it's like that was really the only reason you're in this movie. I kind of wanted a little bit more. That does kind of naturally take us into the future because you kind of just went through the whole new Guardians team there, where we now so. have Rocket, Groot, right. Warlock, Cosmo, and Kraglin. And, and so, the girl, one of the girls that they saved. That was well. so stupid. She just has powers in the post-credit scene. Yeah, that didn't come up at all in the movie. Yeah, that that's got to be like a comic deep cut or something. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Apparently, I, I she's a descendant of Captain Marvel. Oh. I mean, it seems like they're setting this up for at least this group to carry on in future MCU projects. I would be surprised if we ever got another Guardians movie since James Gunn is done now. Yeah, um, I don't think so. And then so. they also say Star-Lord will return. So what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, after we get through this, I definitely want to talk about kind of where the team disbands. But like going into kind of the future of it all, it is very interesting. I agree. I don't think we're going to get a Guardians 4. I don't think you're going to get a movie that focuses on this new team. But I do think we could see them pop up in, you know... The new Avengers, what is it, Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars, this could be the Guardians team that arrives to kind of help everybody stop the new big Thanos level threat. And that could be cool. Uh, Same thing with Star-Lord. We know he's the one that they called out at the end that will return. So maybe you see him pop in there as well. I know Karen Gillan has said that she would like to come back as Nebula. I imagine that will happen. Uh, So we'll see. But either way, as the new team, I I mean, I don't have too many thoughts. It's kind of weird because it's like we don't really know Phyla really at all. I mean, seems like she could be useful to the team, has some cool powers. I like the idea of like a young kid being on the team. I think that's kind of a fun dynamic. Uh, So that's cool. We definitely have a lot of kids now. I feel like we're going to get a Young Avengers project at some point. Very true. Very true. Um, Adam Warlock, again, a character that I love. I love Will Poulter. I thought he did. I thought he had a good performance, but it's just barely in the movie. And he was the big tease at the end of Guardians 2. And then this is what we got. So that was weird. But him being on the team, I like that idea. I think that could be kind of fun. I like 
his not necessarily his sense of humor, but the way he speaks. I mean, there's clearly a gold mine, no pun intended, for like some humor to be derived from that. So that'll be cool. Uh, Craglin, excited to see more of him. Uh, we already had Buff Groot in this movie, but now we have Humongous Groot, and I'm very excited about that. Um, <laughs> but really, I mean, in terms of what I'm excited about, it's really kind of mainly just Rocket as the captain. I, I like that dynamic. And when it comes to that scene in general, I like how they're kind of protecting the smaller town, kind of doing what the Guardians are known for. But of course, I'm a sucker for it. I, we haven't even really mentioned it, but I was vibing with the soundtrack in this movie pretty hard. I love the music choices that James Gunn and the team picked. But in that scene, whenever he's like, let's put on an old favorite, and he plays Come and Get Your Love, which was the song that Peter Quill danced to in the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Great full circle moment. Uh, so yeah, very excited for the future of this team, even though I don't really know much about a lot of them. I didn't mention Cosmo as well. I, like you said, Cosmo also on this team. We don't know about this team very much, even though we've seen a couple of them. But I am like cautiously optimistic. I think this could be a good lineup. This feels ripe for a Star Trek-style show for mm. the MCU. You could do something really cool, I think, with this new team good if call. they were all willing to sign on for it. Yeah, I'd be down for that. That's a good call. I could see that. There was a lot of good setup, I thought, for why the team would disband at the end. Uh, but then there was a lot where it's like you're kind of reaching a little bit. I think the issue is just like you can understand why somebody like Peter Quill would want to take time away from being a leader. He's clearly dealing with some depression. I think having Gamora talk to him at the end there, I think, is a good like way for him to step forward into a better life. Um, you know, probably have to deal with some alcoholism, even though the movie dealt with that in a very weird way admittedly but i could totally understand why he's like dude i need to take some time away from being a leader i'm gonna see you guys again i'm excited to see you guys again but i need some time um i've been running away from all my problems ever since i got like you know uh taken off earth and i need to confront that so i understood that but how'd you guys feel about the rest of the characters you know you have somebody like mantis that's like i've been with ego and i've been with you guys that's literally the only life i know i need to figure this out so how do you how do you think about kind of this final full circle moment where all the guardians are kind of talking about why or why not they might want to take some time away or just leave the guardians entirely? The only one that felt forced to me was Mantis because she was not bringing that up at all throughout the movie or the other times we've seen her. She's never has seemed like she's disenchanted with being on the guardians team or anything like that. And it, it was just weird where Peter Quill just finished saying like I'm stepping away, I'm taking time, but then she was like, me too. I'm leaving. It's like, okay, where <laughs> yeah. did that come from? So that was the only one I thought was weird. Everything else I thought made sense. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you, Austin. The Mantis one kind of cracked me up. I was like, this is stupid. Like, she should clearly just stay with, uh, <laughs> stay with Drax and and uh, and uh, the other guys on on nowhere. Or if her and Drax had left together, I think I would have liked it more. Yeah, I do like the yeah. Drax and uh, Mantis kind of rapport. That's something they've leaned into pretty hard since Guardians Two. Uh, them waving goodbye to each other was a very sweet moment. Again, was it fully earned either way? I don't know. I like the idea of Drax leaving, but it, he was kind of interesting because he strangely didn't really leave on his own volition. It seems like he's staying on nowhere. And Nebula has like the great line where she's like, clearly you weren't made to be a destroyer. You were made to be a dad. And he responds very well to that. So it seems like he's going to help her raise you know, the children and the animals and all the creatures that they saved from the high evolutionary. Uh, so I like that idea. It's just like, it kind of seems like he wasn't going to leave the team. And then it's like, wanna, Nebby's like, want to help me? And he's like, okay. So I thought that was kind of cool. Not a, like a whole lot there, but I mean, it, it ended up working. Um, 
I guess that's kind of it, right? Because we see Gamora go back to the Ravagers, and obviously Rocket and Groot technically don't leave the team. They become kind of the leaders of the new one. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on kind of that? I mean, it happened very quickly. Again, I mean, James Gunn kept saying in the lead-up, this is the end of this iteration of the team. My one critique is I wish there was a little bit more seated, maybe even in this in this movie, but maybe even in like Guardians 2 on why you know, them leaving in the future could be a possibility. It kind of just happens. Again, it, it works for the most part, but it is maybe maybe my issue is just how fast it happens. It's just it's just a little quick, I think. But, you know, we do get another great moment out of it. I did love seeing I got to you know, I'm a sucker for this like easy bullshit. But like Peter going back to Earth and reading with his grandpa was like a really cool moment. I thought it was sweet. I just didn't care. It seemed like he was yeah, only doing that because Mantis kind of, gave him that idea. Like, I didn't really care. It was just like sweet, but I think it's also because that's just easy, like, right? Just like seeing a reunion's easy. They've never set up that he's interested in going back to Earth. That's the problem. Yeah. And then Mantis is like, hey, Peter, maybe you should go back to Earth. And then later on, he's like, you're right. I think I'm going to go back to Earth. It's like, okay, <laughs> when has that ever been your desire? Because <laughs> he's like been he likes on being Earth. a space guy. I think the, uh, the grandpa stuff is maybe just setting him up to... When he comes back, he's going to be on Earth already. Oh, that's that's a good point, Keith. Yeah. If like like the next Avengers movies or something like start on Earth, like the conflict, you could easily have him go over. Maybe. I wonder cool. I wonder if Chris Pratt was surprised by the Star-Lord will return at the end, because it, it sounds like at the end of Thor, they did the same thing where it said Thor will, Thor will return. And then Chris Hemsworth was like, I was surprised they put that in there because I haven't agreed to come back yet. <laughs> so, and they've all said like, they've pretty much all independently, this cast has said they only want to work with James Gunn for Marvel. So if they haven't worked out how they're going to return, I wonder if some of these characters are surprised that they're seeing that they'll be back in the MCU. Yeah, I, I actually, th I think this might be different than the Thor situation. I, from what I've said, you're right. I mean, They've been like, I only want to work with James Gunn. But of course, then once the movie gets closer to coming out, like I saw like this week, Chris Pratt say, it would be really weird to do this without James Gunn, but I would be more than willing to keep playing Star-Lord. And that was before the movie But he said he out. wouldn't do it. For, he said he wouldn't do it for like anything. Like he would do it if it was meaningful. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course. And I would hope that he would only do it if like a good script comes by. But it sounds like that's what everybody agrees with. It sounds like Karen Gillan's like, I want to keep playing Nebula, but I'm only going to do it if it's like actually a good role for nebula um so i'm down with that and again like will we see the new guardians pop up in anything else maybe or they could just kind of like stick to their like you said their star trek kind of version of events like maybe like something comes and threatens earth and kind of fucked up but maybe like the new guardians are like well, we have other people to help out we have other people to save so maybe we never see them again uh i don't know but either way, I'm excited for the future. I don't need to see these characters again, Keith. And that's what we were talking about whenever we wrapped up. I liked how some of the finality felt final and some of the finality felt kind of weird with Drax because I was like, wait, so you're telling me Drax is staying on nowhere with Nebula and like Dave Bautista has been so adamant that he's done. It's like, wouldn't that be weird if like, would we ever go back to nowhere and just not see Drax because we know he's there? So, but I kind of like that. I think the two we'll never see again is Dave Bautista and Zoe Saldana. They yeah. both said they're done. And I'm cool with that because like the way their stories ended, it's not like they died. So it's like they could come back, but I kind of like the idea of them not coming back. It's just like, we know where they ended and you can just kind of imagine Drax is happy on nowhere raising these kids and uh, Gamora is happy with the Ravagers being one of their leaders. We don't need to see it because we know that's what's happening. So it kind of works for me. I liked, I liked that aspect of the finality because it's like not the traditional thing like, oh, they died or they'd say that they're leaving forever. It was kind of different and I, I appreciated that. Good stuff, everyone. Well, that, of course, is our full-on conversation about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. 
uh, movie I was very excited to see and was very happy I enjoyed. But before we close out here, it's time to do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is, of course, the part of our show before we close out where we take something positive from the thing we just watched, something negative or something in between. It's just something that we think deserves a specific shout out or praise. So, Austin and Keith, what's getting your award today? Yeah, I will be giving um, the most unsustainable ecosystem award uh, to Nowhere because the Guardian set all these animals loose. And the one thing the high evolutionary did was he at least made sure that all the different species were separate uh, because now the eagles are going to be eating the ferrets. Um, the rhinos are going to be stepping on the baby raccoons. Uh, none of these creatures are going to survive on Nowhere unless they're kept separately. And it seems like they were all just let loose. So very mm-hmm. unsustainable ecosystem they've got in that deadhead. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give the most likely to succeed on Counter-Earth Award. And that's going to go to the panda bear looking man mowing the lawn. Yeah. That guy was really well, cool. He's, he's burned to a crisp now, Keith. He's dead. He oh. did not succeed. Okay, oh, well then shit, I'll give another right. award. And <laughs> these movies are always... All these, all, these, all these movies and TV shows we cover on this podcast keep fueling this type of award for me. And I'm always interested in what these people are drinking all the time. We've had sour milk. We've had blue milk. We've had... Countless other drinks, and this one they're drinking some weird blue Gatorade type drinks. So yeah, which apparently is good. Yeah, Nebula said, "Well, that is refreshing." Yes, exactly. So I can't give the sour milk award. I'll just give the uh, the best uh, hydrator award or the best Gatorade award to the blue drink, whatever it was called. We could probably also give the Tobey Maguire Broken Back Award to the guy that Drax clotheslines off of his scooter. <laughs> yeah, oh, that yeah. guy died before the explosion. So honestly, Drax did him a favor. <laughs> uh, I really thought Drax was going to walk over to the guy and say sorry. He just kept going. No, he, like, just got he, is, he is kind of a dick sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he is. Drax the Destroyer, Drax the Dad, Drax the Douchebag. <laughs> um, he kills like 20 police officers on Earth in the holiday special, Keith. Oh my god. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> ah, they deserved it. They deserved it. Uh just kidding. Uh with that, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend like Vin Diesel, we really appreciate that. So we continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode. And last week, uh, we put out the most self-indulgent episode I think we've ever put out. If you want to go down the rabbit hole with us, we did an episode all about John Carter of Mars and Ambulance. Why did we do that? Well, it was a big inside joke. You have to go check it out. <laughs> yeah. um, but hey, one of these movies, one of these movies actually... Maybe underrated. Pretty good. Pretty good. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Do you love Vin Diesel as much as me? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your week and keep Vin Diesel in your thoughts. Send him a video. Like, send him a hello if you want to. See ya. I love you guys. <laughs>